Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC in association with The Athletic. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host as we take a look back at what was ultimately two points dropped yesterday at the Hawthorns. Joining me in dissecting a disappointing voyage, Mr. Drew Heatley. Hola. Mr. Farrell Monk. Hello party people. And Mr. Dom Bett. Hello, hello. Hello everybody. It was quite a sad day yesterday and it's been made worse and we are recording as Brighton Spurs is going ahead. And Brighton have just taken the lead to really add insult to injury. But Farrell, let's look at our own house before we start worrying about other people's. We've got some three-word reviews from yesterday. Yeah, I've tried to pick out some, uh, <laughs> you know, some of the ones without swear words in it, but there were quite a lot in there. There was a lot of frustration being being put out on the Twitter Twitter airwaves. Uh, I'll start with uh, Stuart Hulk Green's Doomed by Draws, Adbrom Smith's Relegation Drawing Near, Adam Bright's uh, Two Championship Clubs, uh, DW's tossing away points. Um, uh, one by Buddha, which I'm, I'm reading out because it's probably the first ever popular um, three-word review that's been done in GIF form, where it's got the "That's all, folks" from the uh, the Warner Brother Warner Brothers cartoon. And for the last one, um, I'll actually switch over to to the Instagram ones because there's a cracker in there from James Irons, Nicker Baggy Drawy. <laughs> I, like I mean, I'm glad that there was some laughter in the in the in the mix because I didn't feel like laughing at the end of yesterday's game, Dom. No, um, after that first half, I think everyone was like, "This isn't safe," because you know, um, that obviously we didn't get that second goal. You know, we could have easily been what three, four, five, and up at half time. How many times have we seen it where it's, we just haven't been clinical with our chances? Obviously, Bobby Reid opened the goal score. I was happy because I put him in my fantasy team this week. Then nearly absolutely lost it when he when he hit when he nearly put the second away. But obviously, it hit the post. I think he has to do better there. You know, it's a, it's a great ball. Is it lost cheeky plays him in, and he should be bearing it. But we had other chances. You know, Mitrich playing players like lost cheek in the game uh Lutman being made his decision making wasn't at the best yesterday there was a lot there was a few times where I think he should have played the pass instead of looking to create an opening for himself but yeah after that game it, it was just depressing obviously you know it was it two minutes into the second half when Carl Bartley put like, of all people I don't even remember Carl Bartley ever having a shot in his career let alone scoring a goal so it was uh yeah it was so disappointing after the game and as I put it on Twitter like not be able to go to games and when results like this happen it's just, it's it's even worse with it being on television because you just sit there in your house in your room your living room wherever and it just sits right free in your head whereas at least if you're at the game if it's an away game like yesterday at the Hawthorns you know you could go you can go back into the center of Birmingham go to a pub have a few pints or jump in your train back to London and go out for a few when you get back to London but yeah when when it when it's on at home and you just sat there looking at your TV once it's finished it's a uh, quite a depressing state to be in yeah I mean I think I think that was that was fair and and Drew made worse perhaps because we started so well and that first half was genuinely you know some of the best football we've seen in in a while from Fulham yeah I think you know if you look at that all of our problems in a in one sort of summed up game how can you go from that uh that first half performance where granted we should have got that second to put to put a little bit more of a, a buffer between us and West Brom but how can you go from some of the moves and some of the I know we're playing West Brom and we're playing one of the teams below us and you have to try and chalk up those wins but my word like to go from that to what we saw in the, for most of the second half and you know it's like 
we we laid off at the end of the first half and I know that was something that really annoyed Sam and he's tweeted about it but it was the same with me I'm thinking why are we why are we backing off them as the half was coming to a close we're, we're happy to go in one up but we should have been two up um, and it, you know it, that made it all the all the more confusing frankly because you know you get bloody Allardyce sitting there coming out and saying we played two our, the football we were playing in the first half was too complex and it's just it's it's chalk one for the dinosaurs isn't it we went we got the big man on that we got from Galatasaray and we knocked balls off him and we and we nearly beat him it's like oh, everything about yesterday from from half time on was a bag of shit well I mean yeah pretty much Farrell it was nice to see Nico back in the lineup that was you know an early positive and I think that you know straight away justifying that inclusion with the assist for the first goal and it felt like in that first half he was excellent and and it was nice to see and a little bit of vindication for the calls to, to have him back in the side yeah absolutely like I was so delighted with his his instant impact there was no need for him to sort of Get, uh, get into the game and, and grow into it and gather some confidence and composure. He was right at, at it. He was motivated. And more importantly, he showed a lot of quality, um, you know, and a lot of urgency on the ball, something we don't necessarily see from him that often. He's, he's you know, I've described him in the past as the most, like, dithery clinical striker I've ever seen. He tends to sort of take, like, four or five touches before he decides to do something. But we didn't see... A lot of that yesterday, what we saw was was a player that you would think had been, you know, starting every day, game full of confidence. And, you know, he was picking up the ball from his chest straight to his feet, laying it off, showing for it all the time. Um, and it was it was great to see. And through him, most of our good chances came from, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say that you wouldn't say that you would have expected that from him after the the uh, the FA Cup loss the other week, you know, where he was everything that he wasn't yesterday so you know for him to come on straight away have that huge impact and you know it was unfortunate that we're not able to come away with the win on the back of on the back of an exceptional performance from from the Serbian but you know I think that those calls for a new striker have just taken a bit less and the focus is now on maybe some other areas of the pitch. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I think we'll come on to we'll come on to transfers in the in the question section, but it it was nice to see and, and maybe that's a a different argument Dom that if you if Mitrovic is going to come in and play like that then then does that justify the fact that you don't bring someone else in just to come and sit on the bench? But in terms of the game, we got to half time. You expect Fulham, look, you expected West Brom to be better in the second half because to be honest, they couldn't have got much worse as Danny Murphy put it at half time. But it was like Fulham went to sea at halftime and, and, and suddenly West Brom were all over us for the next 25 minutes. Yeah, we didn't really get any sort of inkling back into the game until, you know, the substitutions of Harrison Reed and Ivan Cavallero came onto the pitch. Obviously, they both combined to get our equaliser. But, you know, West, West Brom were in the ascendancy from minute one in that second half. And obviously, that showed as they scored only a couple of minutes into it. But, you know, the, the way they, they were getting the ball forward, not necessarily creating chances as such, but, you know, that we, you could argue, we were lucky to get back into that game in the second half, to be honest. It took an absolutely wonderful ball from Harrison Reed to find Cavallero uh, for us to get back into it. But it's just it shows once again that you need to be clinical and take your chances in the first half. You know, we could have we could have ended the game after 30, 35 minutes there. We could have been three, three nil up there. And then that that's that's game set match for me, I don't think. But you always know that West West Brom were going to come back into it with a Sam Allardyce side. You know, he, you know, he makes a substitution afterwards at 22, 23 minutes, uh, taking off O'Shea and bringing and bringing someone else on. So, yeah, I think it was naive from Fulham to to not react to the changes that West Brom made. And, you know, I think 
I think for me, you know, we'll get on to what the future holds for us this season. But if you're looking, if you're analysing it realistically, you know, I think two points out of Brighton and West Brom simply isn't good enough. And, you know, if you're comparing, I know comparing seasons is a bit difficult because, you know, different teams, you're off the pace in, in different ways. But, you know, and on this match day in 18-19, I think we had the same amount of points. We just beat in... Uh, Huddersfield, if, if I'm correct, in, in this similar match day, I think, you know, 7 or 8, I think we might we might have had one more. And, you know, if you look at how many games we won in 18-19, I know we didn't draw that many. We probably only drew, you know, uh, four or so. But, you know, we won seven games. And, I mean, can you see us winning seven games this season? Not the way we're playing at the moment. I think you tweeted yesterday, Jack, that Scott Parker has this, has a setup uh, not to lose. And against the big teams, that's great. But against the likes of Brighton and West Brom, we're really need to taking the game by the scruff of the neck and actually trying to win the game. And we in the second half, we didn't really look like we were trying to actually go on to win the game until we went to a back four. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure we'll come on to system because there's plenty of questions about it. Drew, I just wanted to kind of kind of circle back to what you were saying there about what Sammy tweeted and about what you were saying about that frustration. Was there an element of arrogance to it? And I'm not necessarily saying this in a, in a negative way. You want your teams to have a little bit of swagger and a little bit of arrogance about the way, especially when they're playing well. But it did feel like, you know, they're five minutes up to halftime. We were content to kind of toy with West Brom which seems like a weird strategy at 1-0 up. Yeah, there might be a bit of that. But for me, the way I see it is that we we can be really sort of mentally fragile at times. And I think as the halftime drew closer, yeah, we were in a way touring West Brom. But also I'm thinking the, 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 the boys might be thinking, we need, like, let's get in one up. Let's get in up at the break. Uh, you know, we've done enough here. This is good. We'll go, we'll go again in the second half. Uh, my dad's been saying for weeks and I chastise him for it, but the more and more I think about it, the more and more I don't know whether he's right. I feel like sometimes we we just Parker sort of manages in the style the way that he played. He doesn't take any he doesn't take risks. Uh, not in the Premier League, at least, and and we don't take many risks either. And I think you know our glass ceiling at the moment seems to be seems to be a, a draw. Like we can't seem to smash through that. I'm not sure we've got the the ability to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily an overconfidence thing going into halftime. I think it was more of a, right, let's, let, let's have a break and, and then have a pause. And while we're, while we're still up, even though, you know, there was no signs at that point that West Brom were going to do anything to, to get back into the game. Well, yeah, but again, and, and it comes back to that point, they were never going to be as bad second half as they were in the first half because it was, it, it was an absolutely terrible performance from their perspective. Though. And then, you know, for us to not take full advantage of that, I left us right to be taken advantage of ourselves. And, and so it proved. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I mean, we've said it so often, you know, for, for a number of years, not just this season, that how we're so guilty of not taking the chances and not not punishing teams when we when we are in the ascendancy and it does come back to bite us so so often but you know if you are going to sort of like look at the positives and you've got to look at the whole whole game and think did Fulham do enough to win that game yesterday I, I would say absolutely um, it was clear that over the entire 90 minutes that you know we created more chances we created the better chances um, and for large portions of that game, we're on the top and really stretching West Brom. You know, West Brom had maybe that 15 minutes just after half time when, you know, they were making the extra man in midfield count and they were putting pressure on us. And I suppose maybe the defence just weren't prepared for the energy that Diagne was going to, to bring to West Brom. He, he started to stretch uh, stretch us, especially in behind our, our full backstroke wing backs, if you want to say that. And were we, prepared, were we prepared for that? I don't know. I don't know whether there's 
Parker and his team are slightly guilty of not not thinking that okay, what do we do if if this if this new guy is brought on? How do we adapt to it? And perhaps you know we have talked about Parker being a bit reactive and not proactive in that. But yeah, that, that West Brom were able to sort of be able to take those two chances that were presented to them, and Fulham had three or four chances that they were only able to take two, and, and we were punished for it. To take that onwards. Dom and, and to look at it kind of in the, in the perspective of the system, you know, it was clear from from two, three minutes after the break that Fulham were on the back foot. You know, Mateus Pereira managed to drop, drop into the middle. He, he'd come off the wing, he started to have that effect between the lines. We saw Snodgrass becoming a little bit narrower and they started to squeeze us through there. And it was obvious from that moment onwards that Fulham were going to be under the cosh. And, and it was Lamina and Anguisa, brilliant as they are, and, and I'm not you know, laying this at either of their doors because I don't think you can be to blame for this, became overrun in the middle. And it took until we were 2-1 down for that to be changed. And it's another case of this kind of reactivity, as Farrell says, that you know, if you if you look at that and you go, right, we're getting overrun. We got overrun in the second half against Brighton. We had exactly the same thing. And, and it didn't change. Yesterday, it did change. And we clawed our way back into the game. But surely there's got to come a moment where you look at that from Scott's perspective and think, okay, this is clearly not, working right now we're getting absolutely monstered in there surely i have to change something to mix it up even if that's dropping loftus cheek into into the midfield three to stiffen it up for a little while it doesn't necessarily need to be you know i I would prefer it was a four at the back and we saw yesterday what happened when we did do that but even if it's not it's dropping that extra man in to to make sure that fulham aren't getting absolutely swamped in there every time yeah but we've i feel like when it comes to scott parker in his in his ability to try and change a game with substitutions or systems, or whatever, I feel like we have the same conversations at the start of last season. Um, that he's not re- he's not proactive enough with his substitutions. Yes, his substitutions do work. You can look at Cavalera's header when Lutman came on. You can look yesterday with Harrison Reed and Ivan Cavalera combining. But he doesn't re- react and act on the game changing into another team's favour enough. Like he he waits. It's like he's playing football manager and doesn't want to make substitution before the sixty fifth minute. Like it's, it, 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 I just don't understand why we couldn't see even you know five minutes into that second half you could see a change was needed and he needs to he needs to be able to change it so we can get back into the game because if he if he changes makes a change maybe if he went to a four at the back I and mean, I would I would have quite liked to see a four at the back uh, from from minute one you know um, I think we've got we've got the players to do so you know you know I know Kenny Tetti didn't start but Oli Ain is a perfectly capable player to play in in the right back role there and you know you've got the physicality in the midfield today to, to do you know likes of Harrison Reed can always drop in uh, if your fullbacks are bom- bombing on forward and I think that he just doesn't he, he, the changes he makes are often good but they're often too late and he should have made them 10-15 minutes earlier we, we had this conversation last season and we seem to be having it again and you could argue it in the Brighton game as well and Mitrovic should definitely have come on a bit earlier and is Scott Parker's tentativeness to make a decision to try and change a game actually you know costing us points in these games we could have easily had you know four points or arguably six points from from these two games but we've only come away with two yeah and and it comes down to the the point that you you've made before drew that if we'd drawn if we'd lost one and won one of these games we'd be point we'd be a point better off right and and look that doesn't quite give the full story because it means that someone would have pulled away etc cetera, etc cetera, and there's different elements to it but all that said 
you know, if Fulham take a risk and they lose a game, is that better, you know, to take a risk and lose one and win one than it is to get two draws? And and right now, it feels like it might be. It, right now, it feels like we're not going to take the risks that we need to take to keep us in the division. No, we're treading water at the moment. You And we all know what happens when you're consistently treading water. Eventually, you're going to drown. There's been no wins in 10, but we've drawn seven of those games. You look at it and you think, well, out of those 10 games, we've only lost three. But you can see that you it, you literally are becoming so introspective on looking at the value of each and every point. It's not enough. Um, you can draw every single game from now to the end of the season. I honestly don't think it'll be enough to keep you up. So there is there there is that problem. And as I mentioned earlier, that is that sort of glass ceiling now, and it's almost it's almost embedded mentally in the players' minds. You know, you see um, you see the beginning of that second half. We just we couldn't get our foot on the ball. We could not just take a second to try and just dictate the pace a little bit like we were doing so well in the first half you know they changed one West Brom changed one thing and it completely put us on the back foot and we just could not catch our breath and it's that sort of for me that's that's the mental fragility coming in and you and, and we can say it's about Fulham for the for seasons the seasons gone by and you know Again, we need a manager who then who who can we know all about Scott Parker and the way he can instill passion in the players and, and all this sort of stuff, but we're not seeing we're not seeing enough of this sort of enough tactically for him to to move us forward as a side. So you know, there's been a lot of blame apportioned this weekend on on Twitter. Has Scott been let down by those above him in the January transfer window? Yes. But he was also served quite well in the summer transfer window. We can't talk about timings of when these ha- these signings happened because we don't know what it's like to negotiate transfers. But when the window was slammed shut, quote unquote, TM, whatever, he was given the players he needed. So at the moment, where does the blame get apportioned to? Because yesterday, to my mind, it was the players and it was Parker that cost us three points yesterday. And it's it's a difficult it's a difficult one to then go forward and say well what's going to happen against Leicester because I can't see it being any different. Yeah, well, something's got to change if Fulham are going to stay up. We've got a load of questions though, and we're going to be coming to those after the break. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Drew Heatley. Hello, Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. And it's time for some questions. And I want to start with a pretty brutal one from Elizabeth. She says everyone on the pod a couple of weeks ago said that we were pretty confident we were going to stay up. Now, are we going down? Dom, I'll let you start. I think what the results have occurred over the week have really put it into perspective for Fulham fans that, you know, we looked on the up, uh, you know, going towards the end of December. But, you know, January hasn't been as kind to us as December was. And especially with, you know, I think especially when you saw Newcastle win 2-0 against Everton. Um, and obviously it shows what Callum Wilson adds to this Newcastle. I think he's in double digits for league goals now. I mean, he's even, he's arguably, you know, he probably won't, he won't make it. But he's, he's pushing himself to be in the conversation for this Euro squad. I mean, thankfully, they've actually got loads of good strikers, but this isn't the freelance podcast. Um, so, uh, but no, I think we've, I think we had to win for it to even be a chance of us staying up. And I said, that, I, what I mentioned actually on our preview uh, earlier in the week with Luke Hatfield from the Express and Star was that this game, what this game felt like to me was that, if either team, if either team won, they they'd have their chance and they'd have the confidence to then go on for this and to try and uh, push Newcastle or dra- to try and drag Newcastle or Brighton into this. But I feel like a draw sort of just keeps both teams down there. And the way with with Sheffield United's recent results, you could argue that actually if they if they if they get 
some good results in the next couple of weeks or in the next two match days over the next uh, week or so, they could be the favourites to pull themselves out of this because they'll be the informed team. But I really do think it's going to be a very, very hard task. I mean, I know the points gap isn't necessarily great, but I think, you know, yes, we got these draws against um, Liverpool. We got we, and we got draws against, obviously, Tottenham. But the issue is we still only won two games all season. And, you know, we as, as I said previously, you know, Two scenes ago, we we won, I think, seven games. And I, I personally can't see us winning another five. And I think that is down to what Park has done to instill the defensive stability in us has been great. But now we need to add back our attacking flair so we can actually score the goals. Because realist that first half yesterday is the first time we've actually looked like scoring goals. Like in in that aren't going to come from from a header or something or you know or something like that in a long time and I think that's our biggest issue and I think the draw yesterday really solidified that both teams it especially with Newcastle's win as I said it really is going to be a very very tough ask now if you ask me you know before this match day what my percentage confidence was what I'd probably say you know 35 40 percent confident we could stay up after yesterday's results I could be probably down to you know 15 20 percent yeah it's it's a big hit it feels like a big hit and to kind of take it onwards drew uh russell says it's getting harder and harder to see this team staying up if they can't even get a win against west brom if we can't win against west brom who you know have conceded more goals than anyone else in the division who can we get a win against let alone enough wins to stay up yeah absolutely i think even when you look at the form table now you know we were when we were getting these uh six draws in a row you know we're all oh, we're 14th or whatever it was in the form table well now we're 18th again uh, and we're 18th in the uh, 18th in the league, so you know it all reverts to type, doesn't it, at the moment? And if you look, you know our next few games. I mean, up until we've got some winnable fixtures, quote unquote, before the beginning of March. But after that, it just becomes an absolute sort of turd. It becomes just absolute bloody drudge up to the end of the season with some of the some of the big clubs. So you know, Leicester at home next. Apart from the fact that we beat them at at, at there's, you know, there's. I guess you can see that they're fallible. They're going to be without Vardy and indeed There's a possibility, you know, the fan inside me says there's a possibility. But then West Ham are flying. Everton are done, doing really well. You know, we've not done anything at Goodison since before I was even out the womb. Uh, the big one That's that, a long that time. is a long time ago. <laughs> it's a while ago. And then you've got... United, Sheffield United at the cottage, which everyone's going to be pointing to, but you just know it's going to happen, don't you? It's going to be a 79th minute equaliser from bloody Billy Sharp. And then we all, and then we're all just saying, you know, oh, but we could, we could, we could get a result against Palace on, on, to on next To be fair, it still won't and, be as know. bad as that cup game against Sheffield United a few years ago. <laughs> nothing <laughs> well, will ever stop be bringing as bad. That up. Nothing, yeah, nothing will ever be as bad as that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, look, uh, do I think that we're going to stay up? No, I think, you know, anything is possible and I would love to have egg on my face, but I don't think I believe that we will. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that I'm not going into Leicester and as we creep towards Wednesday, I'm not going to sit there at my desk and go, or at my desk, at my bloody bedroom table, you know, what if, what, what if we can get, what if we can get a, a surprise, another surprise win? Of course I am. But I think actually when you look at it, on a whole it's like dom said right we won seven games two years ago when we were absolute dross how many <laughs> of them were after we were already relegated though yeah. quite quite but even I wanna, so you want to say that. four maybe four? yeah, yeah exactly. okay but but still we still won seven games yeah I, and, we're I never, we're, and we're level on points now at the same match day as you were two seasons ago even though this season obviously there's probably a lot more to be positive about but it's not like we're strides better than no not as i agree with you ago. 
but the but I think the league is probably a little bit tighter than it was, and 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 it's always you've got to play what you're playing against, right? Well, yeah. If the game, if the but... game, if you ignored, the, I think if you ignored the first five games of that of eighteen nineteen, I think Brighton would have gone down instead of Cardiff. Yeah, exactly. So so there are ups. I mean, Farrell, I, I'm counting on you to give us some positivity here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sitting there thinking. I t- I do agree with the guys. I, I just don't think it's as bad as it as it looks. I mean, two years ago we were utterly hopeless and a lot of those games we were out of sight with no foothold in any of those games you know we didn't deserve to win probably 90 percent of those of the games that we actually participated in two years ago whereas this time round, i mean apart from brighton uh in the week where we actually got a draw but i don't think we were good enough to to even get the three points it was, although it was probably the closest we got to getting three points with that last minute uh, Loftus cheap chance and maybe the Brighton game previous to that at home which I don't think we were probably good enough as well and we we're saved by VAR um, but like apart from that I think I think Fulham have been in, ev- in every game and you know we probably did enough in a lot of those games to win those and that's where I that's why I feel a bit of sort of a bit of positivity around it that you know we're not out of it we have got a lot of players who are still playing quite well um, Parker's finally realised that where the Winkley weak link is and actually dropping Cavalero for the first time in God knows how long um, and around that we've got a lot of players who are playing really well and they're actually playing with a lot of confidence and they're actually putting the yards in I just think a, t- a tiny bit of luck will get a win can we get a win against Leicester City? Absolutely can we get a win against West Ham? Absolutely I would say that Everton is probably the hardest of those of the of the next three Um you know, I would say that they're watching the game today um, uh, or yesterday, whenever it was, that they were pretty pants where, because Dominic Calvert-Lewin has just been really off form and, you know, all he needs is another goal or two and then he's backfiring. But, you know, hopefully that, you know, he doesn't pick up his form again before our game because uh, then it'd be a whole different ball game. But, you know, uh, do we have enough quality in the team and enough confidence to, to get the win? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um You've got, you've got to you've got to look at everything that's been involved, especially since this sort of like turnaround and form all the way back in Liverpool, uh, whenever, whenever that was. It seems like an absolute um, back in October, I think it was. And you know, in those games in between, we've been playing well. We've been doing enough to win those games. We haven't been out out of sight in any of them. And you know, when you are competing with with the teams, not just in and around you, but the teams also at the further end of the scale, you don't look at just the games against you know. West Brom or the games against Sheffield United and think, okay, that's when we're actually going to pick up points. I think this team is capable of picking up points in any game, uh, any match in this league. Yeah, I I think you're right on that count. And I think there is something to be said for the fact that we are competitive far more than we have been in in recent years in those campaigns that you mentioned earlier, Dom. We feel more competitive this time round. And Look, that's not, it's not enough to be competitive. Let me make that clear. It's not enough to, to go down valiantly and draw every game with your head held high in 18th. There are going to need to be changes if Fulham are going to stay up. But those changes, I don't think, are massively out of sight. You know, we have players who are versatile. We have players who are willing to, to kick into different positions here. We might see... You know, we saw Alayena go into midfield in, in the QPR game. I, I'm not going to rule that out as something that might happen again. I think that with the, the side we have now and, and, and the way it's working, there are definitely options to, to bring this, this Fulham team onwards. But I don't think we're going to stay up unless those changes are made. I think if it stays like this and it stays with Fulham playing the way that they currently are, 
then I don't think there's much hope because I can't see us at the moment taking enough points off the teams around us. Now, Farrell, your point is absolutely spot on that I think we are equipped to battle with the Leicester Cities, the Everton's for points. I, I think that those games we're looking at are, are sure, are games that we can win. But I also think that the teams around us are, are winning those games. We saw Newcastle beat we saw Newcastle beat Everton this weekend, right? We're, it's not enough for us just to go and compete there. We have to be trying to drag the teams around, you know, around us into it as well. And that's where I think that this week has been a gigantic missed opportunity because to reel Brighton in, you know, as we speak, they're still beating Tottenham. And if they do that, they go, there's a couple bit, there's a little bit more daylight, you know, a couple more points between us and them. And I think that, you know, that's completely the antithesis of us, you know, yesterday dropping points to the team below us who we're trying to get away from and get towards the chasing pack. And with all that said, it's, you know, it feels like a, a mammoth task at this point to, to drag us back in. So, yes, there's still hope. No, I don't think we write this Fulham team off by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that it looks less likely that we're going to stay up with every game that passes without us picking up those points, especially those against the teams around us. And with that, I'm going to move things on. Um, a couple of questions. Uh, this one's from Alex Pure Power, who said, thoughts on Anderson wearing the armband instead of Mitrovic? Is, is this something that's potentially just slightly out of proportion, Dom, or is it something to worry about? I don't think it's... It's the only thing I was thinking about during the game. Um, I'd say I think Joaquin Anderson's more of a captain than... than more, more of a captain than Tom Kearney and Mitrovic in regard to the lead, leadership on the pitch. As much as, you know, Mitrovic has been captain when Kearney's been out before... I think that's more of a case of him leading by example as opposed to pure uh, old school leadership, I guess you can say, which I think Anderson brings, the calmness he brings onto the pitch. For me, I thought Anderson was probably, you know, one of our best players, if not our best player, you know, considering how much uh, the strength he has brought to our bat line. So, yeah, I don't think, for me, it's nothing to look into. You know, you know, Tom Kenny's the club captain. Mitch, you know, Mitrovic has been captain before. But as I said, I think that that's leading by example as opposed to leadership on the pitch. But, um, yeah, no, I, I had no issues with Anderson being captain yesterday over Mitrovic. And if you're looking at it across the season, it's something that Anderson deserves. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, we'll move on to Mitrovic. Well, the Mitrovic issue in, in terms of him playing, I think. There's questions and a couple of different kind of schools of thought here. Uh, Louis says, thought Mitrovic linked everything together in the first half, which leads to the movement of Lookman, Loftus-Cheek and Bobby Decaudovary being rewarded with chances. So does Scott give him a run of games or should Cavs still play in the games where our press will be key, such as Leicester midweek? But I mean, there's two sides of this, as I said. And the other question was when another Louis, this was Louis Farmer, he said, Mitrovic is only effective we can get balls to him. In the first half, because West Brom were awful, we did that easily and he was excellent. But in the second half, we saw the reality when we play against a team challenging. The ghost of Mitrovic, as he's put it, if you will. Do you think he has a part to play against better teams where we're on the back foot? Or do you think he's only effective when we're dominating a game? Uh, Drew, I'll leave you to unpick that one. Oh. Uh, I think there's completely valid points, um, but I, I, I think Mitrovic has a, has a has a part to play against against every side that we that we face at the moment. You know, I think today, yesterday, sorry, it was much like Parker was vindicated in dropping Mitrovic against Leicester back in November. I think uh, you know we as fans were, were vindicated for clamouring for him to get back into the side in that first half. Uh, I, uh, granted, yeah, we saw uh, the, the ghost of Mitrovic, as, as was said in the second half. But I think there are so many problems in that second half performance that you know it's difficult to it's difficult to pinpoint the the exact problem. But you know, 
I think we, like everybody else, I think we could absolutely do with a second uh, striker to fit into the system against the bigger clubs. I think you need to be a Swiss Army knife in this league. We've said this so many times. Uh, but I think we're not getting it, so I think we need to figure out the way to tweak it. And there's been several ideas on how to do that with and without a, a quote-unquote new striker. Um, and there's actually some on the Fulhamish website. There was a piece uh, by one of our new writers, uh, Louis, who's, who's done a fantastic job uh, suggesting how we can use the players that we have to do to do that. I think Mitrovic has a massive role to play against every, every club. It's just whether we start him or whether we don't. Yeah, I mean... There, there, there's two arguments to this. I think I'd start him against Leicester. Farrell, would you? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, now that I've had taken time to take stock of, of his performance and Mitrovic in this side and whatnot, and the sort of taking it into, you know, we're not just one man team. There is a system that Scott Parker has, has decided to install. And as we've seen from his first full season in management last year, that it does take time for his ideas to perhaps sort of come to fruition and you know eventually they do and it is it is good and perhaps that when the change of style happened earlier on the season that yes we did get almost instant impact but you know he needed the players that could play in a certain way to be able to be to be effective you know Bobby Deckeldover Reed slotted in nicely at that right wing backstroke uh, right winger role and um, perhaps Cavalero slotting into that sort of false nine, ten, Harry Kane type of role, linking up, um, you know, the the attackers and the wide players coming through, and perhaps that when they tried it out with Mitrovic in training or or, or what in matches that they thought maybe he's not right for this role, and maybe uh, it's going to take some time for Mitrovic to get used to it, and eventually he decided yesterday was the chance that Mitrovic needed to, to showcase that he could fit into that system. And I think especially in the first half, he did it with a plum. And I don't see him relinquish, uh, relinquishing that role come on Wednesday. Okay, we've got two big questions, right? So I'm going to go into the first of them. It's from Daniel at Reed all over. He says this, he, this is four tweets, so I'm, I'm going to try and do it as, as cohesively as I can. This time two years ago, we were looking at the squad and saying with players such as K-Max, Steph Joe, Tom Kearney, Reem, Adoy, and the likes of Brian uh, Mawson coming back into squad, in the championship, we do great. The loans went back at the end of the 18-19 season, and they will do this time as well if we don't stay up. He says, yes, we've signed better players than we did in 18-19 this time, but the more you look at in detail, the more it looks like we've done the same thing without spending 100 million quid. The likes of Joe Bryan, Hector, Rodak, TC, even Mitrovic to a point pushed to the side. And we'll just be aimlessly dragged back into the squad if we do go down. I think the mistake, he says, Tony Khan's biggest mistake was summer of 1920 season where he let all the players who were either not very good in the Premier League or didn't get games because we didn't think were good enough back into the squad and assigned other teams' players who weren't good enough for the Prem for them. The likes of Knockart, Cavalero, even Bobby Deckard over Reed. He said, are we just about to repeat this all without spending a hundred million? Uh, and in which case, surely that's something to lay at Tony Khan's door. Dom? Yeah, I think, as I said, the recruitment has been good in regard to the quality of players. But again, the I feel like, you know, and we, we the players, and he, obviously I know he likes it uh, when it comes to a loan deal, he likes it being on a promise or something. So if you look at Cavalero, Knockart um, uh, last season, and even Boy Reed is, you know, 
these players will get signed if they get promoted or in Harry Arthur's case, he didn't make play the 30 games or start the 30 games. So we didn't sign him on a permanent deal. Same. I think we got a, a deal in place of Ariola that if we stay out, we, we, that we have an option to buy him there. But he does have a good point in regard to the fact that it, um, it leaves us relying back on the same players. And, you know, these players aren't getting any younger. The likes of Stephanie Hansen, you know, Kevin McDonald, um, you know, Tim Reen, Dennis Adoy, you know, these, these players, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, mid to late twenties now they're getting into they're getting into their thirties so you know it, it it this plan won't ever work um won't work forever and you know I mean you you'd expect actually Tony Khan to probably have a better plan in this considering his his dream is for us to be a yo-yo club according to what he had what he had to say on Twitter previously but yeah I think he's got a point but I do think I do think you know the reason we aren't doing well I don't think it's solely down to recruitment. Because um, you could argue the recruitment we did in the summer, bar getting a, a a wide forward or striker, was very good. You know, albeit the deals came on deadline day as opposed to before the season started. But I think you can only point so much blame on recruitment and the you know and Tony and the role that Tony Khan plays, and then what you know what we're getting out of his team. Because in the last two games, especially against West Brom, the players we've got were good enough to get the victory. And I, there's for me, there's only so much you can point towards recruitment before you've got to start looking at the players actually living up to expectation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Also, I mean, Drew, I suppose there's a little bit of improvement in this area. Obviously, we've signed Kenny Tete, uh, Tosin on permanent deals. Harrison Reed is now a permanent deal. We're starting to move away from not necessarily the system. I still think we are looking at loans with with options and obligations to buy. I think that's you know fair enough, especially in, in the current climate with coronavirus and all of those things going on but you know it does feel like we are moving slightly more towards a younger model and and I think there's also something to be said for the fact that look yes we we brought the players you know in and they came into the championship and did really well and you look at those players that brought us up they were given an opportunity this time round and and actually those opportunities weren't taken in the first four games. And and we look at that and we talk about the first four games sometimes and people say, oh, the recruitment didn't come in until after that. But if we'd signed players before that and completely changed the system straight away, people would have looked at it and said, oh, we didn't give the, the players that brought us up a chance. And and therefore, we, you know, you can't have damned if you do, damned if you don't in some ways. There's a huge, there is a huge element of that. Um, I think as well, we we are moving away from it slowly, as you can see, but as you've mentioned, but it's a very slow, slow game. And I think, you know, we talk about there, there are a lot of restrictions in terms of FFP and things like that. But you can see that each time we've gotten promoted under the Khans, it's a it's a gamble. It's a we're playing it. We know it's a gamble in terms of trying to stay up, so we're playing it sort of safe with with the, the way that we recruit. So, the, as you say, there's a lot of a lot of loans with options if we if we stay up. It's it's all very much sort of. If this if this goes wrong, then we need to make sure that we are as set, as sound as possible financially. In a in a way that burn like we used to laugh at Burnley for not spending a penny, and then eventually when they you need that one season where you stay up by hook or by crook, and then you can start to build on it. And our problem is we can't get to that first. Well, it's save not just point. it's not just Burnley. I mean, you can you you look at look at this Leicester team when they when they stayed up in their great escape in would have been fourteen fifteen. Look at Aston Villa the way they kicked on this summer. As you as you're, you're right, Drew. You just need that that season where you stay up by the skin of your teeth and then you can push on from there and go and sort of you can even you can even look at Palace when they first came up um because obviously they had the season you know in the mid 2000s when they went straight back down when I think I think Andy Johnson's the only player to mm. actually be in the relegate team and get into player of the season or team of the season at the same time but facts, yeah I good think facts as well I think you just need 
I think you, you just need that season where you do stay up, whether you deserve to or not, but you do stay up and then you can build on from there. As, as I said, we've seen it with Burnley and we've seen it more with obviously Leicester City and Aston Villa. Look at Villa. They didn't deserve to stay up really over the course of the season, but they did it on the last day and they've built and kicked on from there. And that is what, and, and we're not the only club to do it. Clubs do it and that's how you do it. You, as, as I say, it's like a computer game. You get to that first save point and then you can go from there. At the moment, there's no safety in it. There is no save point. You fuck it up, you go down. But you can see as well that we're hedging our bets because you get people like Johansson who are out in the cold, don't get a look in. We'll loan him to QPR, but only to the end of the season because quite clearly and quite publicly without hiding it, we're expecting that obviously we could be back down in the championship, in which case we're going to bring them back in. So when you talk about lessons learned, we're still going to do exactly what we did last time. We're going to bring back the Johanssons. We're going to, you know... I think Steph's contract's up in the summer, is it not? Would you be surprised if there was some sort of option? I would, I would be surprised if, if look, and this hurts me to say this, but I would be extremely surprised if Steph plays another game in a Fulham shirt. Yeah. Okay. So Steph, Steph Janssen aside, but you can see when we're loaning out players, we, we're they're, they're, there's no options on them. They're coming back, you know, the Christies and of the world and, and the knockouts of the world and whatnot. They're all going to be back and they're all going to be playing a huge part next uh, next season in the championship if we're there. And so you can argue that there's no lessons being learned, but you can also argue this is the way that championship clubs going up, this is what they have to do. This is the way to do it. Otherwise you face financial ruin. And obviously Khan is, Tony Khan has shot himself in the foot with this whole yo-yo club comment because that's not what we want to do. But And, and that's how, obviously that's a, that's another rod to beat him with and he's fa- he is fallible. We know that. That's a discussion for another time. But clubs kind of, they all have to do this to hedge their bets and, and get to that one si- that one save point where they can build. Yeah, I want to take it on. You know, we we got two brilliant questions from Gary and from Jack and Loz, who are among our favourites with their brilliant match reviews. And Gary said, "I listened again to your interview with Tony Khan yesterday. What questions would you ask him if you had an interview with him now? The positives and negatives in the five years, and and how would you judge the recruitment, both financially and for the squad?" Um, Farrell, I throw it to you. I mean, what would you what would you ask if we had Tony Khan here tomorrow? it's such a difficult one because there's probably about a hundred things that you could ask him and have like a really upfront frank conversation that he could he could come out with but the 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 ultimate thing is is that he's running in a very severe commercial commercialized business an incredibly competitive business that's all out in the open and anything that they can keep secret they will keep to themselves but you know, perhaps you can ask him, I mean, one of the sort of like faux pas and, you know, things that might not have been a good file under not a good look was when uh, I think he mentioned about there were no lessons learned from the from that 2018, 2019 season. And as we all know that, of course, when you have like such a bad season or when you make any sort of mistakes, of course, you're going to have lessons to be learned. Of course, you're going to adapt models of course you're going to adapt decision making in that kind of regard and i want to really know what they have been able to do differently than last time how have they been able to be clever they knew that there would be this very very shortened transfer window regardless of what division that we would be in in the summer um you know that being said i think that we did have a fairly successful summer transfer window i think a lot of the players that he bought are in this starting 11 very I can't think of a single one that we've brought in and we thought, no, no, they're not, they're definitely not good enough. Let's forget about them. Um, you know, this January transfer window is fraught with difficulties and it has been a massive struggle, not just, not just because of the pandemic, but also the struggles with Brexit as well and the likelihood of people being able to join. 
So, you know, there are loads and loads of questions that you could ask him and what he might come out with is is probably it's not going to be very forthcoming. Um, and I mean, what what could you necessarily I, I can't think of anything that he would probably come out with and say, oh, you know, we've tried to sign this particular player. We tried to sign this particular player. We tried to sign this particular player and they didn't come for X, Y or Z. He just he just wouldn't he just wouldn't come out with it, would he? I mean, maybe in a year or two time, he'll he'll say it. But right now, I just don't think it's it's good for the it's good for the club just to sort of alleviate the the, the pressure to to say, oh, we've had all of these struggles because people would just say, uh, why don't you do better then? Why don't you just do it? Why don't you go out? I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's so it's so difficult, um, I think, out there. And, you know, I think it's quite easy to point the fingers at Tony Khan and yeah, it's quite right that criticism should lay lay his door with with the transfers that have that perhaps could have been made because there are being there are little transfers going on here and there. I mean I I watched uh, the mighty Cologne play today and they won through one and they're in a similar situation to Fulham are now at the at the lower ends of the Bundesliga. But they were able to bring in a player called Emmanuel Dennis from Bruges on loan, who's out of favour there. He slotted straight into that team. And I was watching him today and I was like, this is the exact type of player that we needed. Why why didn't Fulham go for it? And, you know, Cologne were an established, well, not really established Bundesliga club. They only came back up two years ago. But, you know, they're quite similar in that regard. But Fulham certainly have more funds than Cologne. We could have easily gone out and got this. We easily could have gone got Dennis. And he's playing for Bruges. They're not like some small club. Why haven't we gone out and got a player like that? So there are there are players out there that are, that could have been got at. Why haven't we got them? Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but the new rules around bringing players in from Europe are obviously a little bit confusing um, and, and do have, you know, game-changing and, and season-defining aspects for a lot of people. We're, we're seeing, you know, more. we're going to see more and more players coming in from, from South America, I think, over the, over the next couple of years and, and that kind of move away from the European markets a little bit. But, I mean, I take your point and I think that that would be a question I would ask. I would say, look, we have one out-and-out recognised striker in the squad in, in Alexander Mitrovic. I think we probably... You know, we didn't say, and, and I think this kind of we've been saying this for years. We need another striker, isn't necessarily true. Um, I think in the in the summer in the recruitment when we were looking at it, everybody was crying out for defenders. It wasn't that it wasn't that Fulham and we were sitting here on Twitter going, "Why haven't we brought in a striker? Why haven't we brought in a striker?" Because we have Mitrovic there, and no one could have kind of exactly expected what what this was going to look like with Mitrovic. And I do think there's a bit of a strange crossover between. You know, the, the accounts or the people that call for Mitrovic to start, Mitrovic must start, he has to start. And I agree at the moment with, with, with those accounts. And also, why don't we have another striker? Because it's very hard to bring someone in to back up a striker. It's very hard to be like, oh, can you come in and sit on the bench? And you'd argue maybe that the players that we do have here, you know, your Bobby Reeds, your Cavaleros, your Kamaras even, are going to be those players who are like, hang on, if I'm, you know, the second choice striker or I am the plan B, then why are we looking to you know improve that when when you see my you know you look at Bobby Bobby Reed's record and you think okay he's our top scorer and been there and and I think that therefore there's a little bit of confusion in what that thing is I think the only other question I would like to I asked it at the time and I'd re ask it now is about the juggling of roles about the you know the fact that there's lots of things going on and you know me and you of Harold have had this argument not argument we've had this discussion on the pod before that 
it, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world that people have multiple roles. You look at Rasmus Angerson at Brentford, who has multiple different mm. roles, and you look at his LinkedIn and he does lots of different jobs. I think this isn't on its own as a standalone thing, a massive issue. I do think that there are questions that can legitimately be asked about the way that that time is split and all of the different elements to all of these jobs, which all in, you know incorporate new and, and different things from each other that would be that I'd like to see addressed. I'd like to see those questions answered. And I well, would I've, re-raise that question if I've got the opportunity. Well, I think that Tony Khan then has, has to sort of like be more open about, you know, how the decision making is actually made and, and his involvement in the transfer policy. Like obviously he has a department of people working for him and he's just there at the end, just making the decisions at the end. Why doesn't he just outlay for us? Like, okay, we've got this team, these 10 people um, all day long, scouting people trying to find the exactly the right person that Scott Parker has decided that I need to make this club successful. And they spend all day, every day, uh, trying to find those people and then there are other people that go out and actually look at those people and analyze um you know how much they can actually get for this person and then there are other people that go out to the club and negotiate with the with the opposition club to to get that person in and tony khan is the last is literally just at the end of it and just is there to manage those departments and he can do that in conjunction with his other interests i think in that way he could probably just you know alleviate some of that pressure on him and just you know get that feel good feeling about how the club is run perhaps i think it's not a good look when he keeps silent about those things and at the moment because he is very active on social media and the only thing he tends to to message about is his other interests and the, on the odd occasion just celebrating a fulham win with some stock images from the game I, you know i think there are there is probably some work to be done there yeah you can see why people are wound up by it even if it's not one for yourself right let's move on to the leicester city game after the break Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Me, Jack Collins, Drew Heatley, Farrell Monk and Dom Betts. This week we face Leicester City, who are one of the two teams we've beaten this season, Dom. Uh, this one, perhaps we have a little bit less of the surprise on our side, though. Yeah, I think I think with Leicester, you, they're, they're definitely a different side to the side we played when, when we beat them, thanks thanks to those two goals in the first half. Um, but, you know, in that game, we I'm not saying we rode our luck as such, but, you know, there were, there were chances in the first half of them where, you know, they could have taken the lead. And you, But thankfully, you know, we, we hit them on a the counter-attack. But we saw again uh, today as we we're recording that, you know, when Leeds beat them 3-1 at their place, I know they're away, away from home, they're a bit of a different side to they are at home, but it shows they're not this, you know, destined for the top four. You know, there are still to be got at by sides. And, you know, Leeds, Leeds United hitting them on a the counter-attack today. You know, Pat Bamford had an absolute blinder today. And I think that they, there is there is still uh, a part of this lesser team that can be got at. And I think the fact that we beat them at their own gaff, um, you know, a few months ago or a couple of months ago, will re- will, will give the team confidence that it can get the three points here. Because they said, well, we've, we've done it at their place. No reason we can't we can't do it at ours. Um and I do, and I do I do think we we do it with chance. I'm not you know these games aren't write offs. You know it's not like we're playing 
the most informed team league. It's not like we're playing the current Manchester City team under Pep Guardiola. But I do think it's going to be a very different game to the one because we won't have that element of surprise. They know, you know, if I remember correctly, that game was one of the first times we tried. We were playing without Mitrovic up top and we were utilising Cavalero through the middle. Um, I, I would like to see actually Mitrovic, even though we, were, we did win that game, I'd still like to see Mitrovic continue to start um, against Leicester. But yeah, I do think that we do have a chance in this game and I do think confidence will be, will be taken from the fact we beat them last time, but I do think it's going to be a tough ask. Yeah, I mean, Drew, we caught them on the hop a little bit last time. It's not the first time we used the five at the back, but I think it was the first time we saw it implemented really effectively. And we won't have that element unless Scott brings another surprise on us. Maybe he'll go back to four to try and catch Brendan Rodgers on the hop twice. Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds funny, but I wouldn't do too much different to what to what we did to start the game against the baggies because I just think I think there was something to be said about the way that that was working. And I know you can only play who you're playing against, and they were abhorrent in the first half, West Brom, and and, and there was that. But I just think there's enough there to uh, to give it another sniff. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be a averse to seeing a bit of Kenny Tete a bit earlier. I think he does provide a little bit of a, a he can cross a ball in. I think. Uh, Lamina and Reed, it's difficult. It's difficult to pick between the two of them at times. Uh, Reed uh, obviously did quite well when he came on, and I think he he saved Parker a lot of criticism. Actually, him and Cavalier, the way they linked up for that goal, papered over a couple of cracks. But there wasn't there wouldn't be a huge amount that I would probably change just at the beginning of the the Leicester game because I think, as you say, we've not got the element of surprise, so we've got to be careful and not try and pretend that we will. Uh, no. Jamie Vardy, no Wilfred and Didi Faz. And I mean, look, we've, we've talked about it at times. It's very difficult to buy a backup striker and Leicester have struggled in this regard in terms of Jamie Vardy. They have Kelechi Iheanacho, obviously, but he's a very different player. He drops in a little bit more. So does Iose Perez. They play a little bit more on the in the kind of hole and it, it stops James Madison being as creative. I think we've seen that in the last couple of games, especially in the game against Leeds today. And, and, you know, two of their spine there in Vardy and, and, and indeed he taken out. That's an opportunity still. Yeah. And also Castagna went off as well. Um, so he might be out for Wednesday as well. So there they've got a bit of a headache. However, I, you know, I think Pereira came back on and he's obviously coming back to fitness. So um, that's good news for them. I think. You know, when you think back to that Leicester game, yeah, we caught, we did catch them cold. Um, you know, they were sort of playing a sort of like a different system at the time as well. They 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 were still playing wing backs, and we were able to exploit their um, their uh, gaps in behind them. And you know, we did that very very effectively. It's not just us that are a you know a different beast per se, but also like Leicester might be a different sort of ask as well. And I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I do think that Fulham do have enough. Um, I do think that I do think that Fulham do have enough quality to to win this game and really trouble uh, Leicester City. Yeah, I think that Vardy is a bit of a scourge, like a really quick, clever striker, able to sort of nick goals from decent crosses and and sort of exploit gaps in behind a slowish defence. Then you know that's exactly the type of player we don't want playing against us. You know the the exact type of goal Vardy likes to score is pretty much the same as what Pereira scored yesterday. So, you know, it's it's good that we don't necessarily have that have that system have that system in place if they are going to sort of not play in that show, um, and then play with sort of like Perez, um, Perez up front. We can sort of like stay compact and have really Bobby Decker, Dover Reed really playing as sort of like a very very deep right wing back, and 
Aina dropping in a little bit more to make it as compact as possible, or even thinking about actually making uh, having an extra man in midfield, maybe playing all three of Reed, Lamina, and um, and Angisa to really pack out those players who will like to drop deep and sort of try and start for a bit of position there, and then hit them on the break when we can, when we've got an extra man a bit a bit further forward. All right, Dom. Just before we go, do you want to give us your lineup that you would go with for Wednesday night? Yeah, I actually think of what we did. We did utilize a five at the back against Leicester. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing a four at the back because I think, like, this is a game where I think there's no reason why we. I know it could backfire, but I don't see a reason why we shouldn't go for it because we've only got two points out of the two games we were hoping to get wins from, and we do need to start getting wins on the board. You know, I'm. I'm always. Although the draws have been great this season, I've always been of the opinion that you know what gets you places is you trying to win games instead of trying not to lose games. Um, so I would like to see. I would actually like to see a four at the back here with obviously Ariola in there. I'd I'd like to see a back four. I think with Mitrovic in the team, I think it's actually vital we get Tete into the side because I think the, the amount of the crosses he can grip into the box. So I'd have Tete, Anderson, Tossin, and then Robinson on the left, and then in centre midfield, I'd have. Um, I'd actually. I'd actually feel like it's hard, but I feel like Angisa needs a bit of a rest. I feel like he's been playing too much and he looks a bit gassed. So I'd actually play Lamina and Reed here because Lamina can, you know, dart forward and be that box box midfielder. We know we saw that in stages uh, against um, against West Brom. So I'd actually start reading Lamina here because I, I, I don't think Angus has been up to his his best really in the, in in the last few games. So and then and I've Mitrovic up top and then the three in the three in behind him and I've lost a cheek in the ten with Bobby Bobby Reed on the right and Lutman on the left. Okay. Well, that's, I think, uh, a lot of people would like to see that. Dom, are you doing a preview before this game on YouTube? Yeah, I should, I should be going. I'm hoping to get another one with Lee Chappie or Jamie Vardy, whatever you want to call him. Um, <laughs> Jamie uh, Vardy, the postman. Yeah, exactly. I'll see if I can get in contact with Lee. But yeah, there should be a preview up, um, hopefully, on Tuesday. Fantastic. And then all that's left to do, Farrell, is to name this podcast. Uh, I'm actually going to go for Stuart Holt Green's Doomed by draws. Doomed by draws. It's oh, it's doom and gloom to finish the podcast. But I will say that this has very much cheered me up in some way. It's not that the subject matter has been cheery, but it's been good to get things off our chests, I think. And so thank you very much to Mr. Drew Heatley. Thank you, Jack. Thank you very much to Mr. Farrell Monk. Obrigado, friends. And thank you very much to Mr. Dom Betts. That's all right. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish Podcast in association with The Athletic. Thank you for listening. Let's hope for three points and that elusive win against Leicester on Wednesday, folks. You whites.